Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cinematics. I'm Ryan. And I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue of a metal endoskeleton. Today, we are talking about The Terminator. And it's a lot of things. And one of them is really good. The Terminator, directed by James Cameron, released on the 26th of October, 1984, with a budget of 6400000 estimated according to IMDb. The opening weekend at, in the USA as of the 28th of October, 1984, 4020663 I don't know why I had so much trouble saying that, but, you know, numbers. Words. And words. Wait, those aren't words. Damn it. They are. And uh, did pretty well with a cumulative, cumulative worldwide gross of $78,475,971. Holy macaroni, Paul. That's like math numbers times the amount made 11, 12, 13, 8, 12. <laughs> math. 11, 92, 12. Perfect. So... The Terminator was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, and we were talking the other day about how you felt that this this movie, not that it didn't leave an impact on you, but it wasn't as deep that you as you thought it was going to be. So, yeah, I guess I remember. Okay, so I watched Terminator Two first, and. Then I went back and watched Terminator 1 after. I don't know why the order happened that way. Um, but I remember from when I was a kid watching it, thinking it was this groundbreaking, crazy, all of this stuff. There was so much to it. I don't know. That, that was kind of like the impression I had. And I was like super excited to get back into this again. I think I've watched it three times for this episode. And I just, I struggle to to find enough what feels like enough to talk about it doesn't feel like it's got a lot of writing substance like it's it's a good story it's a well-made complete story but it just doesn't feel like it has a lot there in terms of like non-technical stuff like subtext and stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's it's an action movie and other things so i guess yeah like when you when you said that i it had me thinking i was like you know i I like because i looked through my notes and stuff and i was like i think you're right like my my notes other than like the the technical aspect and like the design like the design and just sort of making of things like the featurettes and stuff i was like as a as a story it's not as <laughs> for lack of a better term uh deep as terminator 2 was in a lot of ways i don't want to say that it's i don't want to be misunderstood when i say that it's simple or not complex because i don't mean that stories need to be complex and i don't mean that there's not a lot of complexity to what's going on but rather what I remember of Terminator, the 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 world, the idea, 
was Skynet and robots and all of these things. And I just completely forgot that this movie is just a robot chasing after a person trying to kill them. Yeah. That's all it is. There's no, there's really no Skynet. There's some flashbacks, but it's not complicated. It's not, it's just pursuit predation, semi-horror action enjoyment. Yeah, and I, I, I think the reason even I thought Terminator was a lot deeper and more complicated than it was, and it, it, it is once you watch the second one. I think it's because of the ideas in the second one and the this like because it's it's essential like to me anyways just looking at it it's it's a horror movie with like some action and stuff thrown in but it has really high stakes i think the stakes are what uh set it apart from your your average horror horror movie at the time especially friday the 13th and uh nightmare on elm street was just because yeah because yeah i think nightmare on elm street came out that year or the year uh, after before Friday the 13th was definitely out before Terminator and it was it had likable characters for one they didn't like make anybody out to seem like you know like these are shitty people and I just want to see them die and <laughs> um <laughs> uh give me <laughs> support my or give into my bloodlust so to speak because even like Matt and Ginger like they're not they're not unlikable characters and like you, you legitimately feel bad for them when they die. If like, if Ginger was different and Matt was different, and they were both pieces of shit that deserved to die, then I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, Terminator. But like, when you see them, you're like, oh shit, like this like got real basically. So I think it's because of like the ideas in the second Terminator that translate because it expands on the first one a lot. So like, it's the ideas in the second one going back and viewing the first one because I like you, I also saw the second Terminator uh first and then when i saw it for the first time i was like wow i wasn't expecting the terminator to be a bad guy and you know whatever else so with the uh the ideas of the second terminator expanding on the ideas in the first one you go back to the first one with the impression that because you know the second one it's gonna be more it in and in a way it is more complex just because of the second one and the ideas that the second one conveyed and fills in or answers a lot of the questions the first one kind of left open, I suppose. Because like Skynet and uh, John Connor were never seen in the movie. All you know is the Terminator and the fighters and, you know, you got the tanks and the future battles and stuff, but you never see Skynet as an idea, like a tangible idea, like, well... Yes, it is a tangible idea because of the tanks and the Terminators and whatever else. But um, in the second one, you know, you see the man who created Skynet. You see that he's not, you know, some hard-boiled military leader or anything. He's just a guy with a, a vision that's trying to see it through. And, you know, there's obviously secrets and stuff associated with the company that started Skynet and they changed the future because of the evidence left behind in the first one, et cetera, et cetera. So that's interesting. And I, I'd like to, I will touch on that. I do want to go back for a quick second. Cause you're talking about, you were talking about ginger and how, and her uh, Matt yeah. and how they get murdered and you feel bad for them and they're not unlikable characters and et cetera. And it's interesting because one of the things I noted 
Because we were talking before about genre, right? And how, how it kind of seems to draw from a lot of different places and occupy a lot of different spaces kind of at the same time. And one of the things I was looking at some of the ways that it kind of seems like it's a horror film in, in some ways. And one of them is that it really clearly makes on that trope of the people who have sex die. You know, and that that's one of those like horror movie tropes that always comes back. And it's, I, I mean, I don't really know why it exists, to be honest. But it's interesting. It's interesting that they chose to do that. Uh, and I can see why narratively, why they would make sense. So the Terminator goes to the house, so they have to be there. What are they doing? They're having sex. It's logical. But also it like it fits into that kind of dynamic a little bit, which is interesting. And then meanwhile, our our female lead is kind of more innocent in a way. She's more pure. She's very like, she's kind of clumsy, but also not debilitatingly clumsy, I guess. Like the, the, the restaurant scene yeah. mostly is what I'm thinking of. Um, and it's not entirely her fault that things get messed up, but um, it's just interesting because she gets presented as this sort of young, more naive, more innocent person who eventually becomes even even by the time they're under the bridge, I guess, and she's giving him that field patch on his mm. wound that he refuses to <laughs> deal with. Oh, it's fine. I'll just bleed all over you then. Don't worry about me. But um, by that point, you start seeing how she can also take charge. So that was kind of cool. So to the Terminator Two part, it, it's interesting because they did it. I think they did it in the right way. Like I don't think you can tell I don't think you could have done it the other way I don't think you could do Terminator 2 first you know you need to start small sell people on what it is sell people on the characters and the idea first and then you go bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually they lost control and got way too big I I, I think yeah. I don't know I stopped watching after 4 but yeah. um, so it's done in the right way, quote unquote. And yet I, I agree that if you watch two and then you go back and see one again, there's a lot more, I don't want to say meaning to it, but it just sort of, it makes it feel like it's a bigger movie because you know, like you said, you know, the stakes, you know, what's going on. Whereas here you, you get an idea, but, the person who is our view to the world, she doesn't really believe a lot. And so we don't believe because everybody in the movie is telling us we shouldn't. So it makes us want to not believe that this bigger thing exists. You know, I think his, his name is uh, Lieutenant Traxler. He's, he's the, he's the guy's like sleep on this couch. You're perfectly safe. Mm. I feel like he in a way is, kind of the audience <laughs> because even at the beginning you're you're kind of like you're kind of in a in a state of denial about it too at the beginning you're like okay because you see kyle he's like really weird and he's kind of you know he's doesn't say much he's kind of even though it's pretty obvious that he's the hero but it's the the movie even leads you to believe that he's not until the moment when the decision has to be made you think he's also a bad guy yeah yeah exactly and uh but with with Traxler, like you could see him uh, when when Kyle was in the interrogation room and he's he's like he he's 
going through all this stuff about Skynet and like everything's very specific. And even Silverman's like, like most paranoid delusions are intricate, but this is brilliant. Oh, and, Silverman. But you can see, you can, you can see something and I'm like, he's like, yeah, there's, there's some validity to this. And as this is happening too, you, I, I think right before, right before that scene, um, you see that you, you can see that this is like now legit. Obviously, you can see the Terminator getting shot and all that kind of stuff beforehand. But this was like the first time when he's cutting his arm open, he's doing, he's repairing himself. You can see that for sure. Now there's no denying that this thing is a machine. Oh, the eye got (laughs) me so bad. I don't get queasy about things generally, but that like watching him pluck his eye out was just so uncomfortable. And it's not even, it's not even that graphic of a scene either. Like, you you see him from a certain angle like there is the part where you where he has like it's the puppet and you they do actually he pokes himself in the eye with that scalpel but overall like it's not extremely graphic it's just the idea of somebody sticking a knife in their eye and, and popping it out <laughs> i don't know we got this thing with eyes man you can't yeah. grow them back they're yeah. super sensitive so we're real protective of them yeah. instinctually and <laughs> It's like it's like me when I get something in my eye at work and I'm just like I gotta get it out. That's like the scene that I think of. Oh, <laughs> it's just I don't know why. It's just that's just one of my favorite scenes in in any movie. Like, and that's that's the thing. Like the story itself really isn't all that. Like it's original or it's it's not because like they say there's nothing new under the sun. Of course. And. You can only do so much with it, but it was the execution that I think that really made Terminator the movie that it was. And it also, like, going back to Terminator 2 as well, um, it left a lot of things... It, it left you wanting more. You're like, damn, like, there's so much more to this, and I want to see what happens next. And then in the second one, you get the T-1000, which was originally supposed to be in the first one as the T-800 anyways, but the technology wasn't there. And they couldn't do it, so they came up with the idea of just surrounding a metal skeleton in human skin, which is really, it's so simple, but yet it's so creative. It also plays really interestingly off of the the horror strategy of not revealing the monster, you know, where where with whatever it is, you see parts of it and bits of it in the dark, and eventually at the end you see the whole thing, maybe, yeah. you know. And and they do that really well there because because he looks like a human. You don't really know who he is or what he is. And so you don't know to think he's bad until he starts shooting people. And then you're like, okay, well, there's a dude that's shooting people. But then you slowly get pieces of him, like when he starts peeling himself yeah. off. You're like, yeah. oh, he is a robot. And then by the end of it, you see full robot, no flesh, no nothing, just the robot. You get the full reveal of yeah. what these guys are up against. And something interesting about about that particular prop too. Some of it was stop motion animation, which was done by Phil Tippett of RoboCop fame. RoboCop came out after this, but Phil Tippett did the stop motion animation for uh, the Ed 209 and even some RoboCop he did. I don't know if he did. I don't know if he did the puppeteering in the second one for the Kane robot, but I do know that he did do uh, Ed 209 from RoboCop, which was, I think, and I'm not the first one to say this, but I think the stop motion animation for mechanical beings such as the T-800 and the Ed-209 adds a certain 
uneasiness to it in a like that weird jerky motion where you know it's like i i talked to uh rick about this while we were in film school i was like why is why does stop motion animation look like this like how could you like could you use cgi or something to fill in the frames in between or whatever and he's like no it's the motion blur of it right and that's why stop motion animation has the properties that it does is because they didn't figure out until later i think it was dragon slayer i think the movie's called where they actually uh introduced motion blur to make the stop motion animation a little bit more realistic yeah i mean it works really well for the robots there there was a couple of moments again probably because i was watching it from a more analytic standpoint that it kind of it revealed to me what was going on a little bit especially the only I think it's the only scene where he flat out runs is when he's chasing them at, after the explosion and he he's running down the hall to try and get the door before they close it on him oh, um, oh okay yeah, was, yeah yeah it was very very clear that it was not just the jerky robot but like the stop motion yeah but it's because i was looking for it and if you're just watching it lightly you've already seen it move jerkily in when he's doing the eye thing oh yeah because it's the electronics yeah that's true actually that's a good point so it it kind of sells it that way and yeah the jerkiness in that sense does work really well almost all the time except that one thing got me a little bit but but the the nice thing is too is they didn't rely purely on the stop motion either to convey the t800 on screen they had a full-size puppet that was made of metal and it was super heavy and awkward. And the reason they had it limping at the end was because the people having to carry the fucking thing were like, dude, this is too heavy and awkward and we can't carry it. And they had it on like two bars, like sort of like a gurney. And I think, I think only half of it was on there, but then there were people carrying the thing around on their shoulders. There were people operating just the legs. There were people like, I can't remember how many people they had operating this thing. I think it was a few people like operating the eyes and like the head, like it probably didn't all move. It was like, it, it moved, but not through motors and stuff like that. They probably had people with like sticks, like pushing its arms and you know, whatever else. Right. Yeah. Like in that, in that behind the scenes video where they show you kind of how they moved it. I, I, they had the like, two poles like you would see on i don't know the royalty things that people carry whatever you call those so they and then they had four people on it but it was only waist up i think yeah i think it was one person on each arm and i think they had a person on the head but and i was trying so hard to figure out how that worked because they i was trying to match the scene to the shot of the behind the scenes and i'm like oh okay do that without the legs so that you can because i thought i'm pretty sure you see his legs in all of it unless i'm mistaken and maybe i was looking at i think i think when you see the puppet itself i think there are there are certain points where you do see the the entire puppet like i think when you see him blow up when kyle shoves the plastique in the in his side Mm. i think that might have been the full size and I don't know if it still exists or not. I don't know if they actually blew it up. I hope it exists. Yeah. I hope they rebuilt it if they blew it up. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the the execution of the whole thing, like it has, it it throws a bunch of different styles in it as well. It's the, the stakes are high. It has horror. 
It has action. Well, we were talking about um, <laughs> Lieutenant Track. Slur? Tra- I, I, uh, yeah, I think oh, that's his no. name. This is the first time I've forgotten a name in a while. I hate <laughs> this. I, I, it's bad on my part because I've seen this so many times that I should remember his name, but for some reason I don't. In I know, man. Like, but yeah, so he. It's interesting because there is there's this trope. Oh, I don't even know. I want to call it a trope. It's it's essentially what every single classic detective fiction story does, which is that ye, it's taking doubt in in the the institutions the public institutions and making it so that the independent people who are not a part of it are more powerful so what i mean by that is a roundabout way of getting to it but the the police who are the public institution who are the ones who are supposed to be there to protect the the uh innocents and guard the society and whatever they're all completely useless none of them can solve any problems they're all kind of hacky and they're taking a piss yeah 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 yeah. it's it's ripping on on police and then you bring in an independent detective who has a special skill or a special uh knowledge or he's somehow involved in some way that gives him a heads up or he's just sherlock holmes and or m poirot and is insanely brilliant and outperforms the police and they do that in this movie i mean Traxler, 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 with a question mark, (laughs) is the closest you get to a detective detective, and he seems to be running the police force, and he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's making poor decisions. He's not listening to the to the people who know what's going on, and the whole police force gets completely obliterated right away. Like there's no fight. They have no chance. And meanwhile, we have our um, Mr. Reese. Who that's <laughs> or Mr. Mr. Rees. Mr. Rees. <laughs> if Coleman Reese isn't dead in sixty minutes, then I blow up a hospital. I Sorry. <laughs> may missed a reference here. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Oh. Damn it. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> point being. Um he's like our our sort of detective figure. He's the the confident, cocky, um, powerful super knowledgeable special interest special skills guy who knows how to solve the problem that nobody wants to listen to but he comes in and saves the day and trackler can almost do that in some ways he's the most competent of the cops he almost fills that role he makes a lot of smart moves but he relies on the wrong people the police and yeah and and, and and on his death is so just like kind of thrown away too yeah that's the thing is like I, I liked his character and it would have been mm. interesting to see him come back in the second one. Mm. You know, see him and Dr. Silverman again and uh you Oh know. I hate I hate Dr. Silverman. I, he's ugh. What if you know like you see those you see those people out there who are like, I've been to no other planets and I've been you know it's like what if there was actually what if that's actually true? You know I'm just saying there I is mean, a possibility. Everybody... I'm not saying I believe them. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, what if like that's kind of what Reese reminds me of. Like, what if he was the crazy guy on the street who said that there's like a psychotic robot trying to kill him and, you know, Sarah Connor and everything. And it happens to actually be true. It's like, what if these people told you something and you're like, you find out that they actually have, in fact, been to a different planet and seen some crazy shit. <laughs> it is Boy Called Wolf on a global scale, where we see so much of this. It's so inundated, 
that we we would just offhand immediately dismiss anybody who said that they had that experience because we know better, quote unquote. The I guess the other thing I want to tap into with uh, you know the the execution of the movie is the music. Brad Fidel, who did the score for the first and second Terminator, he was there basically recording and mixing i think he was recording and mixing the the score for the movie live so cool. i couldn't imagine like a more herculean task and i think he only had he probably had a really limited time knowing all the issues that this movie went through like the last shot of the movie they had to lie about it when they were out on that stretch of highway and you see uh sarah connor driving out into the distance towards the oncoming storm in the jeep mm. They were on, like, they were basically in the middle of the road. And then <laughs> there were no cars. And then once they had it set up, a cop came and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, this is, uh, th- this is my son and he's in film school and we don't have permits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? That's so funny. So oh, that's amazing. Guerrilla filmmaking at its finest. Yeah. By those, those merit, th- those merits, I can see that Brian Fidel had the same, restrictions and limitations and time you know whatever um and i i like the score too i mean i don't like all of the score but there are some standout tracks on it like the the main terminator theme i still really like um there was the and the tunnel chase when Mm -hmm. kyle reese is throwing the grenades out at him which is like those stunts man like they don't do stunts like like i i could picture the stunt man on that bike, just seeing those explosives going off next to him. And they were close. Like they probably, you know, obviously don't have to like shrapnel and stuff coming out of them, but just still like, even just that brief, that brief, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, that brief flash, but also the smoke that comes out, just that brief lack of vision Mm. on a bike going that fast. You know, they were moving. That wasn't like that wasn't you sped can up. tell when they're when they're cheating speed. Yeah, they're not cheating no, speed there. not in that scene. They don't do stunts like that anymore for obvious reasons. I mean, I would say not necessarily that they don't. Maybe not in the calm. same way. Like yeah. if we go back to 1917, they did some crazy explosion stunts in that movie, mm. and a lot of it was very close quarters, like it was here. But there are a lot more safety standards today yeah. than there were in the 80s. 1980s filmmaking was yeah, another whole fucking world. Well, just even in uh, um, The French Connection, mm, when yeah. that, that car chase at the, the end of The French Connection, Gene Hackman actually ran into or got hit by a regular New Yorker going to work. <laughs> So he was he was going at like 90 miles an hour down like a Brooklyn street or something. He's like, before I knew it, I saw him out of the corner of my eye and he smoked me. And that was in the movie. See, and that's one of those things which where is super dangerous. They, like I'm not advocating for that. They should but. have locked up the streets. They should have had more permits. They should have had locations, PAs with stop signs locking up the streets. But that's real, I, real I, heckin' expensive. I, I think what happened was they had a certain stretch of road. Uh, blocked off by the cops and then i think they just went past that point uh, and they kept going <laughs> yeah and then you know what, that's fair y- yeah so 
I mean, even in that movie too, they they blocked off the Brooklyn Bridge to create a traffic jam, and that's what they did. <laughs> like, we need a traffic jam. How are we going to do this? Well, let's block off the Brooklyn Bridge and have Can a you... massive traffic jam going on for like three miles or something. Can you imagine being a regular New Yorker trying to get to work or home from work, and the entire Brooklyn Bridge just gets shut down for like two or three minutes? So that you can be in a movie that without your permission <laughs> that you did not sign a waiver for. It's like, hey, you see that one car right there on the Brooklyn Bridge? That's yeah, my car. That's me. <laughs> I'm grumpiest. <laughs> Actually, uh, the fr- <laughs> Without getting too off topic mm, here, but the uh, French Connection was actually shot in the winter, the fall, and it was one of the coldest, I think it was the winter, it was one of the coldest winters they actually had, oh. and it was brutal for the actors, because like, there's the one scene where uh, Gene Hackman was standing outside a restaurant or something, waiting for these guys to come out, and they were they were having trouble with certain things or whatever, so Gene Hackman was actually out there for like like a couple hours anyways in this like freezing cold weather just like freezing his ass off everybody was miserable they did that for wonder woman too and that oh. airfield fight at the end i haven't seen wonder woman okay. so well at the end they're on an airstrip fighting and she's wearing classic wonder woman so like no pant leggings <laughs> yeah. no arms like fuck and like the, the thing's not warm it's yeah. like not meant to hold heat yeah and it was below zero and howling wind and they were out there for 12 hours. Oh, man. And she couldn't change out of her costume, you know. And it's yeah. like when you're doing those takes, you're they were long. They were long sections. They were short. But, like, yeah, they were, the director talked a lot. You just have it. to give people those big fucking heavy coats that they have to. Because I think mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield, too, when they were shooting uh, The Amazing Spider-Man or something, he was always wearing one of those really big coats. <laughs> we do a lot of crazy stuff to ourselves in, our, in the name of making movies. <laughs> in the name of art. I actually, I'd like to wrap that around because I don't think we made that clear. Um, and I know we talked about it before that that was kind of like what the connection we wanted to make mm. is that when you, when we watched it, it wasn't, it's a good movie, not because it's deep and not because it's got like super complicated things to it. It's good because it's a simple, but interesting story that is well-written and very well executed. And that's the biggest thing is that they did technically from every aspect, such a good job of it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the funny thing is, too, is this whole thing came about because of McDonald's food poisoning, I think. Sorry, what? Yeah, so uh, while James Cameron was out in L.A. trying to make his mark as a filmmaker, a star- <laughs> starving artist, his mom was sending him coupons while he was living in his car in Los Angeles. Oh, God. And... I think I'm almost 100% sure that he had these McDonald's coupons. He got crazy food poisoning and the whole idea of the Terminator came about because of a fever dream that he had of a mechanical skeleton chasing him. I think it might've even been a half mechanical skeleton chasing him around his kitchen with a, with a butcher knife. That's creepy. It's interesting that you you mentioned that because I, I I think we should touch a little bit a little bit more on genre maybe here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was so well done about the horror aspect um, is that well I guess first I I should say like there's there's essentially I would argue four sub genres. So it markets itself as an action movie. 
it wants to be an action movie, but it adopts a lot of things from slashers, horror, and noir, and I mean, they try to work romance in there too because they got to get butts and seats. <laughs> um, but the horror for the horror part, the idea of a monster, a, an enemy, a thing that you don't really understand, and that's the big thing about this one is you don't understand it. They don't know it, and the most terrifying moment for me uh, from like a horror perspective is when we first finally encounter hit the Terminator in tech noir and Reese blasts him with a shotgun and he gets up and you're like, okay, so he's either got bulletproof or something's going on here. And then he comes back again and he pumps like, I don't even know how many shots, like four five, six, whatever mm. slugs into the, yeah. into his chest, blasts him out the fucking front window and he's laid out on the street and you're like, ah, done. Problem solved. Where's the rest of the movie? And then the slow, just uh, trying to get up and gets up and you're like, that thing is like unbreakable. And then the whole movie, it's just, I don't want to say confidence because it's a robot. I don't think it has confidence, but it's entire process is it doesn't rush. It's never desperate. It's always just a step behind right there no matter what you do you might get a break like when they're in the hotel and they get to have sex and they <laughs> pretend like everything's okay and then they get smashed in the face kind of metaphorically speaking <laughs> um you know it's always right there and it never stops as he said that's all it does yeah and it's so creepy but maybe part of why it's so creepy is because it's what we do from like a like a, a historical standpoint, there's different types of predators and we evolved pursuit predation where instead of being really, really fast and chasing outrunning things, we let it get ahead of us and we just keep following it. So the deer will sprint, run out of energy, lie down because it thinks it's safe. And then there we are right there to get it behind it. You know? Yeah. That's a, that's a good point too. Part of why he's also so scary too is because he's human, but also not human. You know, he he looks human, but you know he isn't. He's way stronger than a human should be. And then he can just imitate people. Like the voice yeah, imitation. The voices, like when he's yeah. pretending to be her mom, Sarah's mom, mm. it's that idea of it's someone you know and love, but it's not. It's a human, but it's not. It's like this othering sort of thing yeah uh which is the same thing with zombies too that's why people love zombies so much or they think people love zombies so much well they used to i don't think zombies are as relevant now as they used to be a few years ago i think there was a couple of bad zombie movies and people sort of fell out of it mm, yeah um just to, to build on the horror aspect too is you know he when we first see the t-800 in the movie he starts out as a strapping young austrian lad and then he gets his eyebrows burnt <laughs> off and then he starts to gradually look less human and even though you don't see too much you, you know like you see the the puppeteering and stuff and you see the eye and everything and like the the pistons in his arm and you know whatever else but uh even just with the makeup the subtle things that they did with the makeup he starts to resemble a walking corpse near the end of the movie he's all pale it looks like his skin's kind of tightening around his face it hardly even looks like arnold schwarzenegger by the end of the movie in a it's lot true. of ways yeah and i mean by the end of the movie it's a metallic machine walking. yeah <laughs> and uh 
to to um just to build on uh what we were saying about the the whole food poisoning oh, right. uh phenomenon that became <laughs> the term <laughs> that became the terminator um <laughs> was he actually after he had that dream he actually drew the T800 as a concept oh. uh, drawing which See, I'll send to you I wish I could draw Man, I, mean, <laughs> I would love to be able to actually take the time to sit down and draw just like good like concept shit like that. Yeah. Because when you have the ability as a filmmaker to create exactly the image that you think you want mm-hmm. before you're even ready to like go to screen with it, you have so much so much advantage on on um, pitching and pitching, yeah, finding money, talking mm-hmm. to people because you already have something established. Yeah, and Although I mean, I imagine there's... the designer might be grumpy about not getting to make it his own. But. Sure. But I mean, anybody could look at a metallic skeleton holding a, cause you actually do see a version of his concept drawing in the movie. When, uh, you see the T 800 coming out from the fire that oh. that's what his concept drawing looks like. It's the T 800 standing like in a pile of rubble with a bunch of fire and stuff. And he's holding like an AK 47 or something like that. I like it. Yeah. Speaking of AK 47, holy hecking gunshot. By the way, like, irresponsibility, first of all. Just so happy to make a dollar. I, I, I <laughs> That has no point to it, but I was just like, I was kind of blown away <laughs> a little bit. But then it was the 80s. I don't really know how people were in the 80s. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, too, like, you'd see that there's, you know, there's there's something up with this guy that doesn't quite fit. Like, he walks in, he's like... He's he's naming off all these guns and stuff. He's he's acting like a robot. Like you can obviously like even like as a person, you'd be like, "There's something not right about this guy." I probably shouldn't sell him guns. He walks in wearing chains and fucking studded gloves and stuff, and he wants to buy a bunch <laughs> of guns. Like, and then he asks for what? What was it? A, a, a phase, plasma, yeah. a phase, plasma <laughs> rifle and forty watt range yeah. or something? And like, phase plasma rifle with forty watt range. Oh, the, just what you see, bud. Like the Uzi nine millimeter. <laughs> I got a question for you. Yeah. I was not sure. Maybe maybe I was more sure, but I'm curious what you think about the flashback scenes, um, mm-hmm. because I felt like the second one was a bit more natural because it was you know Reese explaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I I, I thought it was cool. That when he, so the first one, he's in the car and he's sort of like trying to sleep mm. and he gets startled by this, uh, uh like excavator. Yeah. Like an that's excavator. turning. Yeah. And it looks like a robot. It co- sort of gives him this like PTSD kind of flashback. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. I don't know how I felt about going into an actual flashback for that. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, letting, letting the mystery of it kind of build up over the movie and then him revealing to Sarah and to us as the audience by proxy for the first time, what this future looks like would have had a better impact. And I think would have helped the pacing of it because I do feel when he, I, I think just implying it, seeing, seeing, you know, this, this excavator like turning around and it, how it resembles these tanks, I think leaving that part out and then letting it settle and you can, you know, think about it and, you know, say like whoa like what's what's his future look like and then revealing to us for the first time when he's telling sarah about it i like that my concern would be that they're a long ways apart and i don't like the way the scene is 
I don't know if you'd understand what was happening fully if you didn't have the flashback. Like, I think you would have to change the scene in a way so that instead of him just being like, oh, oh okay, whatever, it would, it would almost have to be like he sees the thing and he, like, goes... Like you maybe get flashes. You see the yeah. crane and then it flashes. Yeah, to be or the, like yeah, you can just see like you know you you uh, you know superimpose like the tank over it or something where it just yeah. quickly flashes. You can see it blow up his friend or whatever. Or instead of him jumping and just sort of going to normal, maybe he actually because like he'd have PTSD and yeah, and there's reasonable belief room to say that like if he saw that he might have tried to shoot at them you know and maybe that doesn't work for them, but like he might have gotten out of his car he might have tried to get into cover he might have like started yeah to run yeah I, like yeah i i think i think kyle despite his ptsd is a little more rational than trying to shoot at the thing because you can see that yeah. it's being operated by people yeah. but even just you know but he was ha- also out of it and like he was asleep. he was yeah um yeah just ha- just having some kind of reaction just like a quick flash of these of these tanks you know, because you could even, like, this is just a shot I thought of in my head right now, but you could have a wide shot of the entire construction site with all, all like, all the different machinery around there, and then just have, like, a quick flash of, like, three tanks just, like, rolling across, just, like, mowing people down or something like that. Right, just to back up this crane that isn't actually a tank, but looks like yeah. that, that could work. Yeah. And then you could take you could take pieces from the first flashback and also add them into the second one and just make it more of... Not a longer scene, but a more detailed scene mm-hmm. of what the future could look like. I think that would have been better because that's one point in the movie where I'm just like, as cool as it is to see the future, it doesn't really fit because you don't know 100% what's going on yet. You're still at a point where you are meant to not know for sure if it's yeah. true, right? Yeah. And I think the movie would have done better if it lent, 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 if it leaned on that mm. and used the, the more horror style of not really revealing because it's scarier to not know right uh especially at the time that this was made because this is 1984 this is the u.s has lost to the ussr repeatedly in this space race like the actual it's funny they 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 say that they won but the only thing they beat the russia to was the moon every other step of that race they lost super demoralizing for the public on top of the fact that they're horrified about the idea of nuclear bombs and the Iron Curtain is in the way, so nobody knows what's going on in Russia. So it's just a whole bunch of unknowns. And I, I feel like it would have done better to play to that a little bit that way. Uh, I do really like what they did in the second one with seeing the shelter and the people and how people live. Mm-hmm. It was way more interesting than seeing the combat in the first one because you get to experience how horrible life actually is there yeah and why it's so important that sarah connor survives yeah and depending on how empathetic you are as well you can put your you can put yourself in those people's shoes and like say man this is terrible we need to (laughs) get a hold on technology before it gets a hold of us as well and I think that's, like, there's a lot of fear of that at that time, too. Again, space race stuff, you know? People are, are racing to the bottom in some ways. Uh, doing things without really thinking about it. The nuclear bomb tests, they, they one miscalculation, and they could have easily blown way too much stuff up, 
lit the ozone on fire. So many different things could have gone wrong. And there was not a whole lot of, like, actual caution taken. It was all about speed, you know? And, like, getting there first. Yeah, and, like, even for films they were making in, like, the 50s and 60s, I believe, there was one with uh, John Wayne where he played depending on how you say it, Genghis or Genghis Khan. And they were shooting in a nuclear testing site and most of the crew ended up dying from cancer because they weren't, they weren't taking any special precautions about (laughs) filming in a nuclear test site. They didn't even know. They didn't even know. Yeah. The thing is that like until I think the late sixties, Nobody understood properly what radiation did, and the 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 way that they ended up finding out was they there was an independent organization of mothers who started up a an on I almost said online what <laughs> they started up this uh, independent organization that asked people to send from like test sites and things send their children's lost teeth in to be tested to see if there were impacts on the children who lived in the area and they found that their teeth were coated in radiation and were corroded and impacted by this and and all of the scientists were saying there was no impact there was no problem people had no public idea that this was a thing and the people if there were people who knew they didn't talk about it and it took you know doing something outside of the system to find that solution so there's a lot of fear around that kind of thing and mistrust of of social or uh societal governmental organizations you know you ever see that movie the road with uh vigo mortensen no i keep meaning to but i haven't gotten around to it because i keep hearing how depressing it is and i just need to be in the right space to do it i think well there's because I, I look at Kyle and I'm like, okay, you, you grew up in nuclear fallout, basically, fighting machines your whole life, like out on the battlefield. I don't, and I know why they did this because it's a movie, but I feel that Kyle Reese would look more like Vigo Mortensen from the road than he would Kyle Reese. He's like this really like buff, like good looking dude that like he's fought in a war and he's got like all these scars and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what you just said about the teeth and everything is like the teeth would be falling out of his head if he even had any or if he did they'd probably like not be in the greatest shape just one of those one of those little movie movie things that i think about sometimes yeah i mean i don't know i can't think off the top of my head now i don't know if they actually tell us how long after nuclear war this takes he's from but um I mean, regardless, the half-life of most things used are in the range of like 200 years, generally speaking, or more. So unless this is centuries after, like centuries after, there would be long-lasting radiation effects. Um, I don't know if you watched Chernobyl, the new HBO show. It is, I would place it as one of my favorite miniseries especially like docudrama miniseries of all time. Um, Also probably one of the best shows of that year in so many ways. And they do a lot with like the impacts of of radiation on people. And it's a lot of, a lot of boils and things from direct contact, but you'd see mutations. You'd see cells not reproducing properly and making errors and, and 
they kind of just went for the classic buff guy, super hyper-masculine hero who comes in and he's going to save the girl, except, oh, he's got to be a dick about it to do it and take command and tell her to shut up and listen to him and he has to do it. You know, but then by the end of it, she's the one saving him, which is really interesting. Mm. I appreciated that a lot. And uh, there was, and this is this is a, an episode in itself, but the whole time travel thing, we were talking, right? Yeah. So if depending on how long after the the machines took over and everything, we'll say it's within, say, fifty years of where the first Terminator started. So like, let's say. There's been a, from, at least one generation, so 50 years is probably yeah reasonable. yeah. So let's say from the time that um, the first Terminator happens to the time that Kyle Reese is sent back, we can say it's roughly about 50 years, roughly something in the range. I mean, if you look at John Connor in the second one, he's in his like mid to late 40s, let's say. But okay, sure. So yeah. there there's a theory out there is because when the first Terminator happens, you're kind of like. Okay, well, how old was Sarah Connor when, <laughs> you know, was Kyle Reese his dad before? <laughs> like, was 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 for, Sarah Connor a cradle robber? Yeah, was or for lack of a better term, a milf. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, and then so there's a there's a theory out there that, uh, Kyle Kyle Reese wasn't John Connor's father. The first time around, he was just somebody that John Connor sent back and then from the procession of events ended up leading to his conception from Kyle Reese history. Yeah. And I would almost argue that, you know, because Sarah got stood up by her date that night. Oh, yeah. Right. So you could say that, you know, maybe the guy who stood her up and the father could have been the father in, you know, she could have, you know, history in an alternate history or it could have just been some other dude. I don't know. (laughs) But um, yeah, there is, there is a theory out there that suggests that Kyle Reese wasn't his father during the first iteration of the Terminator history, I suppose. That's that, that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I, you're right to say that, that there's a whole episode in just the representation of time travel, because I mean, there's the science of time travel, which is, to say not very much, uh, <laughs> but then there's there's so many different imaginings of of how time travel would work, and almost all of them would suggest that if you change history, you create some kind of either alternate universe or a paradox that destroys a universe or some such sort of thing. The interesting thing is that the entire world of Terminator revolves around time travel, but for as many of the movies as I've watched, which is up to salvation, they never really talk about how it works. And I feel like they don't necessarily entirely know, and I don't think that's unusual. I don't think writers need to know the answer to every question for a story, and I don't think they need to have every absolute single detail figured out. But if the entire premise of your movie revolves around a a very complicated piece of technology you may want to at least sort of have an understanding of exactly how it works that can be understood and presented to the audience in some form or another cough cough. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, the whole thing of childbirth and how this specific child is going to be 
the salvation of humanity. And I think the movie for me would have worked better without the really abrupt kind of love scene because you can kind of see that, you know, like it's, it's kind of being built up, but I, I like the idea better of Kyle strictly being sent back to protect Sarah. And then I don't know. I, I don't even think it has to be explained on who the guy is. Cause he does say that he dies before the war. So, I mean, it would have been interesting to see maybe just Kyle comes back, you know, protects her. And then at the end of the movie, you, the gaps would have been filled in. You don't need to know who the, who, you know, John Connor's daddy is, you know, like who the baby daddy. <laughs> who the baby daddy? Yeah. See, see, see a paternity test being done on Maury. <laughs> the room to go to that romance thing for a minute because you brought that up and, and it, it bothered me because it's, it's a really tropey element of Hollywood movies. Uh, and I mean, this is the 1980s, so it's not like it's, they've been doing it before. It's not new here, but just this idea that the hero and the heroine have to get together and there's gotta like, they're gunning for this sort of emotional because, Oh, well now we care about him more. And then when he dies at the end, it's more sad because they're in love and they had sex. So (laughs) therefore it's, but like, I did not believe an iota of their relationship through that entire movie. It was, it like didn't develop. And then suddenly they're sitting in a tunnel and they just instantly seem to fall in love. And then they argue for some reason she gets mad about not wanting to be involved. Oh yeah. That like before that, there's no inclination that, that there's a forming thing. It's just him being kind of a dick and her being kind of scared. And then she takes a little bit of charge and then suddenly now they're in a hotel having sex. And then there's not even a breath. There's not even a moment to like absorb what's happened and sort of think about it because you need those moments of pause to process what you've seen they don't give you that instead the terminator blows shit up and shows up and you're like oh everything's falling apart but every piece of it is so just bam 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 we threw this in because it had to happen because we need a romance yeah and now it's sad yeah and uh it's not like you know given the dire situation that there's a machine from the future gunning for you i don't think you know just let's just do it from kyle's perspective Mm. He is in a, you know, he's this traumatized future soldier that knows these things. And I don't think he would have just taken the time to say, well, you know, we're, we're good. We're good for a little while longer. Let's bang it out real quick. Because, <laughs> you know, at that point in time, they could have been like in the middle of the deed. And then the T-800 just busts the door down and kills them right then and there while they're caught with their pants down so to speak (laughs) he is the one who's constantly saying there's no time it's always there we have to go there's no time and now suddenly there's time because and i mean i get it you've been through a lot you're alone with a with a cute girl maybe they would have had sex but i mean like that doesn't mean they're in love that doesn't mean she immediately got pregnant and it doesn't have to be that but they tried so hard to make it that and it so falls so flat yeah, and the uh, the I came across time for you, Sarah. I oh love God, you. I always have. I'm just like what now? I like maybe in my younger days I would have like <laughs> you know just being a naive teenager and stuff. It's just like that's how relationships work, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that's 
like we were talking before, I think it was on uh, the Dune episode where mm. movies hit boxes sometimes, just check off all yeah. the boxes. That, I feel, is a very blatant checking of the boxes. It's very well documented. I mean, maybe it's not documented, but it's very well observed that audiences enjoy seeing romance on the screen, regardless of whether it's good or not. And this this is a problem I have, because there's so many... Uh, problems in writing that people, like, I forgive all kinds of things when I watch movies, but that doesn't mean I don't note that they're not good. But people seem to love this, and producers seem to notice that people seem to love this. And I've heard a lot of stories about movies where characters aren't supposed to have romances, and the producers demand that a romance is inserted into the story in order to make it more applicable to a wider audience as a market. And I think that overall is a perfect example in specific of what in general is wrong in so many ways with the commercialized film industry, which is that because movies cost so much money and take so much time to make, they're a huge risk because if it doesn't land with a huge audience, if you don't hit the most general and the most wide range of audiences, you're probably not going to make your money back and you're probably not going to be able to afford to continue working. So, it becomes a matter of how many people can we attract and how many boxes can we check in order to make sure that everybody likes this movie. And it comes at the cost of good storytelling and logical progression in so many forms, even if it doesn't always, sometimes it works, but it, it often is very detrimental to the art form itself. So here, here's an idea. Um, oh. My idea is, what if? So, say if we were to just change the Terminator a little bit to to fit <laughs> to fit this, like let's just with, change with, with with the whole with the whole romance. So let's say instead of Kyle coming back through time to protect just Sarah, what if it was he was protecting Sarah and John's dad? Like, what if they were already like sort of a thing, and Kyle had the role of sort of like the Terminator in the second one, just being like on guard all the time. I mean, because like when you look at Kyle's character, he doesn't really care about that. Even when she asked him, she's like, what about the women in your time? And he's like, what What are they like? He's like good fighters. Like his mind isn't, isn't programmed that way. He would be more like, you guys, you guys go and do your thing. I'm going to sit out here on a piece of lawn furniture with a shotgun. <laughs> I'm going to be the old guy I'll, in the lawn with a shotgun. <laughs> Get off my lawn. I'll I'll keep I'll keep the car running. Like yeah. that's kind of I feel his his role would be better suited instead of I came across time for you, Sarah. Or alternatively, if you really really needed him to have that for some reason, cuz I like your idea better. I think that him as a guardian figure who protects the two that are already in love is a way better way to do it. But if it was necessary, it would provide a more logical reason for there to be interpersonal conflict because maybe he's known her in the future and he does care about her or maybe he comes back and he does really like her or just even finds her attractive mm -hmm. and she's got a boyfriend or a husband and now suddenly... It's super fucking awkward because there's a love triangle going on. And, like, I hate myself for bringing that up as an idea. But it makes more sense 
than what's in this movie currently. Yeah. I mean, nowadays I hear uh, common criticism of dystopian future media, including awkward love triangles. So there is like, it's like within novels and stuff, dystopian, at least bad dystopians. And there's a lot of like, I'm, I can't go into specifics because I haven't read a massive amount of there, them. There's a but lot I of have dystopian heard... literature out there and a lot of it follows the same tropes. Yeah, exactly. And one of those tropes is a love triangle as well. So, I mean, you could, I mean, this is before all of that. So like, I would say, I'm not going to say Terminator is the first dystopian future. Because it definitely is. Because it's not. And we could go into, you know, the whole copyright thing that the Terminator faced after it came out from that um, Outer Limits episode about the guy who came back from the future who was trying to protect somebody from a robot. And yeah, but anyways. You could also argue that Thomas More's Utopia from like the 1700s is a dystopian fiction as well. Oh, okay. I, I haven't read that. I should read that. That sounds like it could be good, especially coming from the 17th century. It is if you don't mind reading really convoluted language, which I don't because English major. <laughs> and maybe I would. <laughs> so Probably, but that's like, fine. Oh, robot, where art thou? <laughs> <laughs> Robots, oh, robot, where art thou? Why thou now, robot? Do you thou god last go now here? And deny thy programming. People didn't speak like Shakespeare made people <laughs> sound like at the time that he was alive. But, uh, I mean, it, I think Terminator could have got away with, with the whole love triangle thing. Because it would make sense. Especially if Kyle had the picture of her and he was sent back through time to protect Sarah Connor. And having, you know, the picture with him for so long could have been uh, sort of aid to him on the battlefield to some to some extent just to keep him to keep him going all the time for you know whatever reason but i think either of those could work whatever way you do it i think either of those could work i like your version better because it's less cliche but they could both work they could both work yeah and i mean you know your idea could work better depending on the execution coming still more cliches though it is yeah <laughs> but not all cliches are bad it just depends on the execution of them that there's nothing new under the sun there's only seven stories a person can tell and it's just the details that change <laughs> so says shakespeare but what is what does he know nothing <laughs> I, I i this is a very small point um so i don't really want to linger on it but i do I do take a little bit of opposition to their use of the word cyborg um, because it's not – he's not a cyborg. A cyborg is a, an augmented human who uses technology to make themselves better, uh, whereas what the Terminator is is a robot who puts on human skin. So he's not a cyborg. He's at best an android. He's a Blade Runner-y, android-y type dealio, but – I also understand, like, cybernetic organism. It sounds better to say cyborg, even though that's not what a cyborg is. But anyways, that's the whole point. I just took a little offense at the misuse, <laughs> but it's fine. Well, that, that's 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 fair, too. Like, I like the term cybernetic organism over he's an android. You know, so cybernetic organism has a better roll off the tongue. It just sounds better. And when Sarah... Uh, 
punches into her to her uh to her job it says may 19th 1984 which is actually <laughs> which is actually a saturday not a friday so when she's like it's friday friday night for christ's sake it's actually saturday it's night. actually saturday so just just saying either the filmmakers looked and did decided people probably wouldn't pay attention to it or they just didn't bother to look which i mean is very possible they just picked a day and said it's saturday because nobody's gonna give a shit <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, Paul gave a shit. Paul looked. And I... Paul found out the truth. <laughs> James Cameron, you're a hack. A liar. <laughs> you're a liar. A cheetah. I like his HUD. I would like to say that. Just to, like on this kick of random little details, the, the cyborg HUD was kind of nice. Like it was, I don't want to say it. It's hard to talk about things being cliche because they aren't necessarily when the movie was made. They weren't necessarily a cliche. And it was well executed. Um, because you get to see him processing things, you know, like you see him when he first comes down, he's imitating people. He's saying the lines back. He's learning how to sort of speak like a human and be a human. And, and he never gets away from the robotic tone, but that's because Arnold just doesn't speak in a non-robot. Even when he talks in person, he kind of has a bit of a robotic tone to it. He's a Terminator. It's been like this the whole time yeah oh my god <laughs> uh so, so and and then he learns and he grows and then the next time we see him sort of interact with people he pulls up a list of possible responses and it scrolls through and then he picks the fuck you asshole yeah. one which super funny and and just it was, it was a really nice touch you know and that i i think was a good a good comedic moment for me anyways, because you see him in the room before and his, his, his flesh is rotting away. He's all infected. He's, he's basically past the point of repairing the skin. You know, he's stinking up his apartment and everything. And then, you know, it was just like, Oh my God, like he, it, this is disgusting. There's flies all over him. And the way that he, the, the janitor of the place describes the smell was like a dead cat or something. So you can only imagine like what kind of smell would be coming from inside that. And then he just scrolls through these lists of possible responses and he just, fuck you asshole. Well, and, and, it, and it's cool because they don't really talk about it ever in the movie and it's never something that's like actually um, worked on, but it's obviously something they considered, which is the fact that you can't just take skin and put it on a thing and have it live. You know, it's going to decay and die. I don't know if you've um, uh, read slash watched American Gods. No? Okay. No. The show the show itself um, is pretty decent. The first season is good. The second season is kind of goes off the rails a little bit. But the book is amazing. And in it, there's a character who dies and comes back to life. And in the books, they don't really talk about it. But in the show, they go into the fact that as a dead person walking she doesn't really she isn't able to repair herself so she flies everywhere and she's falling apart and you know she loses an arm and they sew it back on and then she loses another limb and they sew it back on and like she's just decaying you know and it's it's cool to see that they're they're, they're actually thinking about that in this and i kind of wish it came back somehow but you wouldn't want to force something like that either but it's cool that they thought about that detail you know i think it would be really like really awesome even though that uh dark fate claimed to be going back to basics with the terminator i don't think it did but seeing did you, did you watch it i've seen pieces of it and from what i see i know it's not my kind of movie it mm -hmm. kind of because 
The thing with the action in Terminator and Terminator 2, even though they did some crazy shit with it, there was oh, it was always grounded. But in it, like in in Dark Fate, there were like I've heard this criticism many times, but it was like the the final the final battle that started off on a plane was a lot like the plane scene in Spider-Man Homecoming where he's on the side of the plane. You couldn't see shit. It was really confusing and stuff. And then they drive a Hummer out the back of a, a cargo plane and then drop it with a parachute, which has already been done before in the A-Team. I heard this criticism once too. So it was done in the A-Team. It was done in Fast and the Furious. And then at least in the... <laughs> I think the Critical Drinker said this. Did did, did it did the Fast and Furious movie come out before the Dark Fate movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so Fast and the Furious came out before Which Dark Fate. Fate. Fate of the Furious or whatever they called it? Or was it Seven? I, I honestly I it don't know. <laughs> but, um, yes. We haven't gotten to that one yet. So, you know, with, with this one, <laughs> he's like... Like, uh, I think it was the critical drinker that said this, but he said, at least with those movies, even though it's been done already, at least they had the balls to do it in daylight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, it was like when we talked about Spawn before Mm -hmm. and how the whole thing is dark and so they can hide how the animation is kind of subpar Mm -hmm. until they go into the light. And it's the same thing there, you know, it's like. If your effects aren't good, make it hard to see what's going on. It's the same thing with fight scenes. If you don't want to do fight stunts and you don't have a good coordinator, just make it impossible to tell what's happening. (laughs) Transformers. And uh, Taken 2. Really? Yeah. There, there was a, the second one. There was a, I, I didn't watch, I didn't watch the second, at least I have, I don't think I've seen the second one. Maybe I have and I just forgot it. But, um. (laughs) That shows a lot. There's, like when they're doing their fight scenes, they're like constantly cutting and like flipping the axis of the camera and everything. And then eventually you just, you don't know who's fighting. They all like both characters look the same. You have no idea who's fighting the cameras flipping and cutting rapidly. They're repeating movements. And it's just, eventually you just, you're like, what the fuck is going on, man? Well, and I mean, it started with born mm. that whole thing kind of started with born and, Born at least did it well, where they still seemed like they were doing the stuff, and then they just made the camera shake, but it kind of got out of control, which is, to go even more off topic, which is why I love John Wick so much, because John Wick is is everything great about action movies, plus the things that they don't do, which is locking the camera off in a wide and showing the whole fight in one take or two takes, and like long sequences and i mean part of the reason they can do that is because keanu reeves is the hardest working actor in hollywood and will train for nine months to like learn how to do the moves so he can be a if the zombie apocalypse happened i would go find keanu reeves (laughs) because i think he could probably he's probably a seal team (laughs) expert at this point yeah i actually don't remember exactly how we came across this tangent so i was talking about the action oh yeah so the action and how grounded it is yeah which also ties in with the gore of the whole thing which makes it seem a little bit more realistic and believable which the gore isn't very gory for the most part which i appreciated a lot yeah because like when people get shot typically there's not a lot or when people break bones there's typically not a lot of blood 
Yeah. And even when he, you know, like when he pops his eyeball out and he, you know, pull, you know, rubs all or wipes all the fucking blood away off his, off his eye. There's, there's a lot of blood on the, on the towel, obviously, but it's not like it's all over his face and, you know, like, you know. Why does he have blood? He has tissue, but I, why does he have blood? Um, well, uh, as far as I know, for, from Kyle's point of view, it's for, to blend in. Oh yeah, I guess they would make a system so that if he got he, cut, it would look. Yeah, like, like I mean, it's it's synthetic human skin, like it resembles human skin. It's natural, but I mean, I'm sure that they did make some changes to it in order to fit a cyborg properly. So I mean, obviously, if you were to find, you know, a knocked out Terminator on the street and you thought he was dead and you decide to do an autopsy on him, you'd be like, oh my god, an alien, <laughs> an alien, <laughs> a fucking alien. Oh my god. So I would say, as a final point, just for like one of these things where I was like, I really like this little detail. When he's <laughs> explaining to to Sarah, he's talking about time travel. And uh, he says one possible future, a bunch of other stuff, and then he says, I don't know tech stuff. I just thought that was kind of cool that this is a world where time travel is just tech stuff. And like that line oh. says a lot about how the world views what's going on because he's just, well, he's just a soldier and he was thrown through a portal so that he could go and save the world, but he doesn't really understand what's happening. You know, he just has a very basic grasp of it, which was cool. And then there was one other comment I wanted to make on, on just like small dialogue stuff, which is, um, the I'll be back line and the, uh, what was the other one? Uh, come with me if you want to live. I watched Terminator two first. You did too. Like we said, and those lines were so prominent and they were like really sold up. And I was like, oh, so this is like a thing then. I'm like, oh, that, that's cool. But then you go back to this one and you see how they treat them. It's just dialogue. It's just things that they're saying. But like obviously audiences must have latched onto it or something because they go from being just a line to literally being the, the line. Yeah. Yeah. The line. Oh, yeah. I actually like the, uh, the thing with Silver Silverman too where – He's like, uh, you know, he, he, they're, they're talking. He's like, don't you have ray guns? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, oh, that whole scene. Part of why I hate him so much is he's, he's just so obnoxious because he's so self-assured that he knows everything because he knows the truth. He's and, seen it all. Like... And they sit there and they joke about this guy and like, it's really telling about how jaded they are, which is kind of a nice character detail, how, like, they're just able to sit there and, and laugh at this off. And, and the guy comes in. It's, like, 2 in the morning. He's tired. He's yawning. He's having to try and figure out what the – and he's hearing this big, long story. And, of like, of course he's not going to believe it. And, of course, he's going to laugh at it. But it's also cool, and I think you kind of mentioned this, too, where tra tra Trax Traxler, tra Traxler. Traxler yeah. is sitting kind of in the background. They're laughing, and then he just kind of looks at them and shakes his head like, don't laugh at this, man. I mean, you never know what's going on, right? And yeah. he, the other two respect him enough to shut up, but you can also see that, like, they still don't really – they still find it funny. Yeah. It's just really nice character work. And uh, just, to, just to add on that real quick is uh... – you can see, like, you know why they're jaded is because he was talking about, like, uh, you know, when she asked him when he punched through the windshield, and he's like, well, the guy could have been on PCP, busted every bone in his hand, not felt it for hours sort of thing. So This is L.A. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you're when you're a cop in LA, I, I think in any decade, it doesn't matter if it was the eighties today or, you know, any any other point in time, you've probably seen it all and you've probably seen something like this before. It's like really no I no person would really believe anybody who had a story like that. But like I said before, it is sort of possible because we just don't know what's going on. I mean, what if that actually turns out to be true? I'm not saying going around and believe all these people and, you know, whatever. Our take on science is from our perspective as humans based on what we know about the universe. The universe is fucking gigantic and there's probably more than just ours. So everything we know could be entirely incorrect and we should always be open to new ideas even if they seem crazy, but also you should always be skeptical about new ideas, even if they don't seem crazy. And on that note, thanks for listening to our special, at least in my eyes, a special podcast episode of the Terminator. And why is it special in your eyes? Cause it's special to me, man. Close I, to your you heart. Know, yeah. You know how long I've been wanting to talk about this <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, Terminator. Cause Since I, we started the podcast, you've been suggesting. Oh man. Well, and I, I don't know, because I, I didn't know what should we, we should watch after the Dune episode, so I'm just like, oh, I got it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.